And uh, how many of you had a long day today? Would you raise your hand? How many of you had a long week today? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah, I know what Mondays are like. And uh, thank you for working hard at being here, having your family here. I'm sure some of you have not had supper yet. And so I'm going to make a deal with you, and that is I'm not going to preach all night long. Amen to that. Good. At least there's one honest soul over here. And uh, then we're going to try to uh, make use of the time that God gives us. In fact, when I finish preaching tonight, I'm going to do something a little different in the invitation, something that I hope will be a great encouragement and help to you to apply the truth we're learning. And uh, we've had a wonderful time together, and we give God the glory and praise for it. How many of you have got a copy of the Scriptures with you tonight? Would you raise it up? You got a copy of the Bible? Good. And if you don't, look off somebody near you because you're going to want to follow along. Uh, because the most important thing we have is not the preacher's word, it is God's word. So where would you like to open in the Bible tonight? All right, well, let's go there then. All right, Psalm 51. And uh, some of you that are just joining us said, what kind of preacher is this? He lets the congregation choose the text. But we've been living in Psalm 51, and it has been a wonderful time God has given us in these 19 verses. And in this meeting, I'd like to do something. I'd like to read the entire psalm with you. And so if you'll permit me to take the time, follow along as I read, and I'm not going to rush through it. I want to take our time. I want you to think on the words. Imagine that David somewhere with a broken heart, a pen in hand, tears in his eyes, writes these words. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, O Lord. Open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a psalm. What a prayer. It's fascinating, really, because you can take any particular verse, in fact, any statement, no, any word, and you can study it by itself, and it is rich with truth. How many of you, as you have read and prayed through this psalm, the Lord has showed you something? Would you raise your hand? That's good. The pastor and I were talking earlier today, and he said to me, he said, isn't it interesting to see the contrast of David's heart with Saul's heart? Do you remember Saul's great failure? What was Saul's failure? Remember? 
He thought it was all right as long as he was going through the, the sacrifices and offering the sacrifices. That was good enough. Uh, even though he had not obeyed God. But David says the Lord doesn't want that kind of sacrifice. He wants a sacrifice of a broken heart. I think that's right. There's the contrast between the fact that God took the Holy Spirit from Saul, but David had seen that and he knew that's not what he wanted for his life. So he said, Lord, don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. How did Saul end? Saul ended as a grieved man who had who had missed the joy of the Lord. How is David ending? He says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. May I, may I go so far tonight as to say that everybody in this room is either going to end like Saul or end like David. Let's vote on it. How many of you want to end like David, not like Saul? All right, so the question is, how do you get there? Did you notice that not only are the individual words and phrases and verses full of truth, but when you read the whole, remember all the parts make the whole, and every verse is connected to all the other verses. That's why I wanted to read all 19 verses with you tonight. I wanted you to see the overarching truth. Did you see, did you see the progression of the theme? Did you notice even the change of the tone in the psalm? For example, when the psalm begins, you have this idea of David on his face, have mercy upon me, O God. But when the psalm ends, you got the idea almost of David on his feet with his eyes lifted heavenward and his hands outstretched in worship to God. Do you see? The psalm begins with a groan, oh God, but it ends with glory. How do you get from the groan to the glory? How do you get from the sigh of, oh Lord, I need your mercy to the song where the Lord says through David, now you can open your lips and you can sing to the Lord. Listen to me, friends. Only God can bring such a change. Only the Lord can do that. There's a little word I want you to mark in your Bible, the very first word of verse number 13. What is the word, please? Then. Circle that in your Bible. Come to verse 19. What's the first word of verse 19? Then. Now then come to the last statement of the whole psalm, and it begins with what word, please? Then. May I ask, when is then? Everybody wants to jump to the end of the story. Let me say it this way. Let's get down to where we live. Everybody wants their life to end well. Everybody wants everything to turn out all right, their family to be blessed. Everybody wants the good things from God. But listen, how do you get there? I would say to you that there's a powerful truth in Psalm 51 for all of us. I'm speaking tonight on this subject, what God brings out of the brokenness. You see, when you read Psalm 51, you're reading the words of a broken man. Our world has the idea that once people are broken, they're broken forever. There's no hope for them. And let me tell you what the devil does. The devil gets people broken, and then once they are broken, he throws them away. Isn't that just like the devil? He's the great liar. He's the great destroyer. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Let me tell you what the devil is. He's the great waster. And our world is full of wasted lives and wasted families and Wasted young people and wasted opportunity and wasted days. Let me tell you something about the all-wise God. He never wastes anything that is placed in His hands. And so therein lies the secret of Psalm 51. David is a broken man. But let me tell you what Jesus specializes in. The great physician speci specializes in broken things. As a matter of fact, would you do something? Would you go back with me for just a moment and mark in verse number Eight, where the Bible says that the bones which thou hast what? Broken. Wait a minute. David said God broke his bones. Now think about that. You'd get the idea, wait a minute, David, you're broken because of your sin and you're broken because you deserve it and you're broken. Wait a minute. David understands that even the breaking up process in his life, that's the Lord's doing. See, the Lord who is the great mender first has to be the great breaker. Years ago, someone said to me, thank God for everything the Lord uses to humble you. How many of you know the Lord knows how to let the air out of your balloon? 
And we get pretty full of ourselves, but the Lord has His way in all of our lives of just touching us, and suddenly we feel like such broken people. But watch, look at the verse. He says that the bones which thou hast broken may what? Rejoice. Look, it never ends with the brokenness. The brokenness is just the means to the end. Oh, but that's not all. Come over to verse number 17. The sacrifices of God are a what? Broken spirit. And then if that were not enough, he says a what? Broken and a contrite heart. Here is the double brokenness. Everybody wants the double blessing. You don't get the double blessing without the double brokenness. So watch this. He says, my bones are broken. That's the external. He says, my spirit and my heart is broken. That's the internal. May I say to you, the Lord may break up the things around you or he may break up the things in you. But the Lord is not just trying to break you. He's trying to bring you to himself. And God has a way of bringing the greatest things out of brokenness. Take a little trip with me. Everybody, take a little trip with me. I want you to go with me 2,000 years back in time and halfway around the world. And I want you to watch Jesus stand in the midst of an open field with multitudes of people who were hungry. They were hungry. And there wasn't a McDonald's within a hundred miles of where they were standing. There was nothing to feed them. And the disciples said, all we got, all we got is this little boy's lunch, just a little boy's lunch. It'll never do. It'll never be enough. And the Lord says, bring it to me. And so they bring it to Jesus. Watch this, please. Use your sanctified imagination. And they put that little boy's lunch, all of it, the whole thing in Jesus' hands. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says that he broke it. And he blessed it. Listen to me, please. God must always break what he's about to bless. God never uses people who are not broken. God never blesses people who have not come to the end of themselves. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because if the Lord blessed us before he broke us, we would think we deserved it. But when he blesses us in the midst of our brokenness, we understand it's not us, it's all him. It's not merit, it's all mercy. It's, it's not my gifts, it's all God's grace. I don't deserve this, no, no. This is just the Lord's doing in my life. Oh, but that's not all. Come with me now, come with me. And watch as he sits around a table with his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest. You remember in the upper room, and the Bible plainly says that he took bread and, anybody remember the next thing he did? He broke it. And then he blessed it. I'd like to have been in that room. Would you like to have been in that room? And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is what? Mm, Broken for you. How many of you know some really good blessings came out of that brokenness? There on the cross, bruised, wounded, broken. But listen, every good thing, eternal life and abundant life, everything now and for all eternity came out of that brokenness. Not all. Come on with me now. He's walking on a road with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember the story? They don't know it's Jesus. Shh, don't tell them. They're going to get a surprise in a second. And the three of them are walking along, and they're just talking about things, and those two were so disappointed because the master had left them, and he had been crucified, and some people said he'd risen from the dead, but they hadn't seen him. They weren't so sure about it. And so Jesus makes like he's going to go on past where they're stopping. Don't you love the divine humor in that? And they said, you know, it's getting late. Why don't you stay and have supper with us? And so Jesus comes in. I love this. He begins as the guest, but he ends as the host. Remember Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. In the first, he's the guest. In the second, he's the host. So he comes into their house as the guest, but for some reason, he takes over. Aren't you glad Jesus takes over? And sitting at that table, what does he do? The Bible says, He took bread, and guess what he did with it, church? Yeah, he broke it, and he blessed it. I've often wondered, Pastor, when were their eyes open? The Bible says that that was the moment that their eyes were open. When were they open? Look, was it when Jesus took nail-pierced hands out of his robe and they saw those holes in his hands? Or was it when he broke the bread, as he had done with them so often? Or was it when he bowed his head and said, Father, Nobody ever said father like the son did, you see. But I know this. 
At every instance, the breaking preceded the blessing. Watch. And every blessing in your life and every blessing God has for this church and every blessing the Lord desires for your family will grow not in spite of the brokenness but out of the brokenness. When God breaks something, He breaks it to enlarge it. He breaks it to open it up to every good thing He desires to do. And so with that in mind, I bring you back to Psalm 51. Look at it with me, would you please? Look at Psalm 51. Let me share the first thing God brings out of the brokenness. Verse 7, excuse me, verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Number one, would you write this down somewhere? Out of the brokenness, God brings you a new message. Oh, you can tell sinners they need God, but until you've experienced His mercy, you don't have a whole lot to talk about. The amazing thing is, once you've experienced the mercy of God, you have something personal to share with them. May I say to you, there's nothing more powerful than a personal testimony. Do you remember when Jonah showed up in Nineveh and he started preaching that message of repentance and the whole town turned to God? You want to talk about one of the great revivals in history. Imagine everybody, including the politicians, get right with God. That's revival, friends. They fasted and prayed. They made their animals fast. Read it for yourself in the book of Jonah. Now, I thought about that so many times. Who did that? Well, obviously, God did that. But let me ask you a question. Do you think Jonah's message may have had a little fresh touch and anointing from God's Spirit on it because Jonah had just been in the belly of a whale in the bottom of the ocean and God had come to him a second time and shown him mercy and Jonah was speaking out of the overflow of the grace that God had shown to him. May I say to you, those who have the greatest means of ministering to those around them are oftentimes those who have been most broken themselves. Look at the verse again in verse 13. He says, then will I teach. Now listen to me. When David uh, was living in sin, he was in no position to teach. But when he got right with the Lord, the most amazing thing, the, the student becomes the teacher. May I tell you what God wants for every member of this church? Every member of this church. God wants every member of this church to be a student and every member of this church to be a teacher. And you may say, well, I get the student part. I'm studying the Bible. I'm coming to know God in a greater way, but I'm not really a teacher. I mean, you know, I don't stand and preach, and I don't have a Sunday school class. No, no, you missed the point. You see, everyone who learns should be passing on what they're learning to someone else. Those who know tell those who do not know, which means every last one of us ought to have a message we can share with somebody else. How many of you know God's been good to you? Let me ask you a different way. How many of you are glad you're not going to hell? And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? So why aren't God's people saying so more often? Look at the verse, let the, that, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. What had he just been? Go back up with me, would you please, to verse number 3. For I acknowledge my what? Yeah, he said, I've been a trespasser. And God forgave and cleansed me. Now I can say to all these other people who are transgressing the law of Almighty God, friend, I've been there, and not only have I been there, God forgave me and changed my heart, and He will do the same thing for you. Out of the brokenness, God gives you a new message. Hold your place here a second. Go with me to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. I was meditating on this earlier today. Let me give you a, an example, an illustration of what I'm talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Praise His holy name. Aren't you glad you know the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort? May I show you, please, that God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. He comforts you to make you a comforter. Read on, look at verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, I receive it, watch please, 
and I relay it. Like, like a baton in a relay race, it's handed to me. I don't keep it to myself. I pass it on to somebody else. Everything I've preached to you this week, God has used someone or some circumstance or some failure in my life or some personal experience with God to teach me. Now I can keep that to myself or I could say, you know what? This sinner might could share something with a bunch of other sinners that would help them too. Did it ever dawn on you it's not supposed to stop with you? It's supposed to go on through you? See, if this meeting is all there is and these messages I give, if it stops here in the four walls of this auditorium, friend, we've dead-ended what God wants to do. No, no. Every person in this room that has received the truth and received the grace should be sharing that with someone else. We comfort them who are in any trouble with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I went through a period, honestly, in college, of tremendous doubt. Maybe you've never been there. I was raised in a family of believers. Grew up in church and Christian things, reading, studying the Bible. Professed faith in Christ very early on. Surrendered my life to be a preacher. Went to Bible college and suddenly faced one of the greatest spiritual attacks I've ever had in my life. And went through about a year, close to a year, I would say, of great darkness. And very few people knew it, and I struggled, and, and I, I just dealt with so many doubts. Lots of question marks. I, I questioned God, and I questioned the Bible. I questioned if I was even really saved. Have you ever been there? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I talked to every preacher that came through the place trying to get help. Do you know what? They couldn't help me. I read lots of Scripture, and I prayed a thousand times to try to answer all of those doubts and found no real help for my soul. Finally, one day, I remember how God dealt with me. It wasn't some, some vision in the middle of the night. It wasn't some earth-shattering experience. Instead, the Lord graciously, by His Holy Spirit, brought me to an understanding. Are you ready for this? This is, this is powerful. Are you ready for this? That Jesus was enough. Somebody said, when did you get victory? I finally came to the place where it dawned on me that Jesus was enough. And if Jesus was enough, I could just rest in him. And you know what? It was like the light shone again. It was like the, the sun came in through the windows again. I wondered, why did God let me go through that? I began serving in the ministry there, then helping to lead in the college. And I remember one day sitting in my office when a young ministerial student came by, a young preacher he came into the office and shut the door and sat down across from me and he started to weep. He was one of the most gifted young men and he said, Paul, he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, I know God wants me in the ministry. He said, but I'm battling all these doubts. And he said, you probably could never understand that. You've probably never been through anything like that. He said, but I'm even wondering if I'm a Christian. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, this is why. This is why. My wife and I got married, started serving the Lord. We were so excited. We were having a great time. Just, you know, life was good. We found out we were going to have a baby, and like most young couples that find out they're expecting, we told everybody immediately. We didn't wait. We were excited to tell everybody, and several weeks went by, and there were complications. We lost that child. Now, that baby is still very much alive. That child's in heaven, and we're going to meet him someday, and I'm excited about that. And I remember as a young married couple and serving the Lord in the ministry how we wept. remember the little apartment we were living in at the time, and we just had a hard time. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, why? And we're just trying to do the right thing. We're just trying to minister and help people and do the will of God. We're excited about this baby. We want children. Why? A few months went by, and the pastor said one night on a Wednesday night, he said, there's a young family in our church, and he said they were expecting a child, and they've just lost a baby, and he said they're going through a deep, dark valley right now. Would you pray for them? And at that moment, I mean like an arrow from heaven, the Holy Spirit said to me, that's why. That's why. We were settled. We'd been in the same ministry and place for nearly two decades, and it had been wonderful. 
and future was bright, and we had a beautiful home to live in. The kids were settled in school. It was the only home they'd ever known, and all of our friends were there, and they, we were well cared for. It was great. And then the Holy Spirit said, all right, it's time for you to leave here. You know what I did? I argued with the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that's not an argument you can win? I tried to convince God why we should stay, why that wasn't the right thing. So finally, finally, the Lord brought me to a place where I realized that the only reason I was there because it was God's will, and the only reason I should leave there is if it was God's will, and if God said do it, I didn't have an alternative. And I remember the day I finally said to the Lord, all right, Lord, whatever you want, the answer is yes. I must confess to you that those few months were some of the hardest of my life. In fact, that personally, for me, was the most difficult decision I've ever made in my life. It was a breaking up inside of me, a humbling inside of me. Now, here I stand uh, about uh, four and a half years removed from that particular season in my life, and I look back, and can I tell you something? I'm having the greatest time. I'm having the most wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for a thousand lifetimes. Do you know why? Because, listen to me, God always brings his best out of the brokenness. Do you know what happened to me? Within a year of going into evangelism and taking a step of faith, people started calling me from different places, different parts of the country, and they said to me, I don't know what's going on, but God's doing something in my heart, and I'm just trying to discern the Lord's will. I know you've been through a transition. Maybe you can give me a little guidance, and what did you learn, and how did God work with you? And I started just simply sharing with them things God showed me from the Bible, and how the Lord dealt with me, and immediately the Holy Spirit said, that's why... Do you understand that out of the brokenness, God gives you a message and a personal testimony that will be a blessing to many more people than your life would ever touch otherwise? It's what God brings out of the brokenness. Go back with me to Psalm 51. Let me show you a second thing he brings out of the brokenness. And notice what the Bible says beginning in verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. That literally means death. I'm guilty of sin. I deserve to die. Blood guilt and his blood are on, is on my hands. I can imagine David looking down at his hands and Uriah's blood was dripping off of it and he knew it. He knew that the blood of Uriah was on his hands. And then his baby died because of the judgment of God. And I imagine him weeping and saying, that baby's blood is on my hands. And then his son is killed. Absalom is killed. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. What he was really saying was, oh, Absalom, my sin, my sin. And domino after domino falls and the guilt is upon him and the blood is upon him. It's death. But look at the verse. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation. Watch. Sin brings death, but hallelujah, Jesus brings life. He is the life. And so here's the second thing. Would you write it down? Out of the brokenness, God not only brings you a new message, He brings you a new song. It's beautiful to me to see how this prayer becomes a song, and it literally is a psalm. It was a song that the Hebrews would sing, and David sang it first, and he sang it from his heart. And look at what he says in verse 14. He says, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. You know what sin does? It closes a man up. It makes him want to keep to himself. You know why? He's got something to hide. But watch this, please. When the Lord makes you clean and he makes it so that you're no longer under the condemnation of sin, what? Well, look, you don't have to look over your shoulder to see who's coming along behind you or look around you to see who's staring at you. Suddenly, it's a life of freedom and liberty. God opens a man up and he begins to sing aloud of God's righteousness. By the way, I was listening to this choir tonight. Choir, you've been a blessing this week. I mean a real blessing. To me, you've been a blessing. And I came in here tonight, and they were here early practicing. I think the choir even grew tonight from Sunday. I don't know how that happened, but it was good. Whoever joined, God bless you. May, may the Lord add to your number. But you know, I've observed something interesting in revival meetings. As people get right with God, they enjoy singing more. There's something about this that when people get in tune, they can sing. Now, I'm not talking about vocally because some of us are never in tune in that way. But I mean, when your spirit gets in tune with God, there's a harmony with heaven and, and you enjoy singing because you're singing from your heart. We were singing one of those hymns a minute ago about being redeemed and it just blessed me. Honestly, it helped me 
I stood there and just worshiped God and said, thank you, Jesus. I'm redeemed. If I was not a preacher, praise God, I'd still be redeemed. There's nothing like being redeemed and knowing your sins are forgiven. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Christ lives in you now, and you're going to live with him for all eternity. There's nothing like being a Christian. And I've watched people, even in church services, at the beginning of a service, song leaders sometimes are like, come on now, let's sing, let's really sing. They're pumping it, you know, priming it. But you let God get in the meeting and the Holy Spirit work on hearts and people get thoroughly right with God. Do you know some of the greatest singing I've ever heard in churches is not before the preaching, it's after the preaching? And I'll tell you why that is. Because when you get thoroughly right with God, you begin to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and you just can't help yourself. Nobody's got to pull it out of you. Nobody can stop it. Listen to me, friend. You cannot hype a revival, and if it comes, you can't hide it. David says, I will sing aloud of thy righteousness. And look at the next verse, verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Now watch this, please. You get something, and God gets something. You ready for this? What do you get? You get joy. Let's take a survey. How many of you would like to be a happy Christian? All right, here's how. You get thoroughly right with God and as close to God as you can, and I promise you, joy will break out on you. It's contagious like the measles. You don't have to try to work it up. The Lord just gives you joy. Did you know you can lose joy too? Some of the most miserable people I've ever met are not lost people. You know why that is? Because lost people don't even know what they're missing out on. The most miserable people I've ever met are backslidden Christians. And you know why that is? Because they know there was a day there was nothing between them and God, and it was wonderful, and they know now something has dammed up the flow of joy in their life. Why do you think David had to pray back in verse 12, restore to me the joy of thy salvation? He hadn't lost his salvation, but he sure had lost the conscious joy of that salvation. And some of you, some of you in this room, you're as saved as you've ever been since the day you trusted Christ as your Savior. But the joy has stopped. All right, let's go back and figure out what's halting the joy in your life. I meet people across the country sometimes, and you ask them if they're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But honestly, they're part of the Grumps for Jesus group. You know, it's terrible. And they're grouchy, and I just made up my mind. Look, I've seen too many people get sour over time. I don't want to end as a grumpy old man. I'd like to leave this world with Jesus' name on my lips, giving glory to God. That's how I'd like to end. Matter of fact, my life verse is Acts 20, 24, that I might finish my course with what? Joy. I don't want to just finish. I'd like to finish happy. I don't want to coast into heaven and cross the threshold in neutral. I'd like to cross the threshold of glory with a hammer down, the pedal to the metal, happy in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that's what God wants for his children, but only the Lord can give that kind of joy. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. You know something? You live in a beautiful part of the country, but the most beautiful place on earth outside the presence of God is miserable. And I'm going to tell you something. The darkest spot on the planet in the presence of God is the happiest place in the world. The joy doesn't come from others, and it doesn't come from circumstances, and it doesn't come from you. It all comes from the presence of God. So watch this. You get joy, but notice what he gets. He gets worship. Isn't it beautiful that God has designed it so that what's best for us is best for him? It's our good and his glory at the same time. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. He says, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. I'm talking about true praise. I'm not talking about going through the motions of praise without me talking about heartfelt praise. And let me ask you, when was the last time you really praised God? I didn't ask. I didn't ask when was the last time you heard a nice song or sang a hymn. I asked, when was the last time you lived a day just praising God and giving him glory? Let me tell you what I've learned. God inhabits the praises of his people. You want God to live at your house? You want to live consciously in his presence? Then start praising God. Old Lester Roloff from Texas said, sometimes you can praise your way through things you can't pray your way through. There have been times in my life where I was begging and pleading and, and trying to figure out what was wrong and asking God for help. And then suddenly in the midst of that, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to thank God for his goodness. And I started praising the Lord. And the most amazing thing happened. The circumstance didn't change, but my spirit did. 
I'll tell you why. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. Amen, church? Give him worship and give him praise. When revival comes, people become true worshipers, not church attenders, true worshipers, not professional singers, true worshipers, not religious robots, true worshipers. Go to Hebrews with me just a second. Turn to the New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Mark this in your Bible. Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That sounds a lot like what David said in Psalm 51 to me. Look at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now keep that in your mind because you're going to see that same thing pop up in Psalm 51 in just a moment. It's no longer about your pleasure, David. It's about God's pleasure. On the night he sinned, it was all about David's pleasure. But on the day he got right, it was all about God's pleasure. Could I ask you a question? When was the last time you think your life really made God happy? We, we get so consumed even with our own happiness sometimes and making everybody else happy. When was the last time you think God looked at you, heard you just praising him, and said, I like that? When was the last time you think you made the heart of God smile? My daughter called me from college the other day. How many of you parents know when your daughter calls you from college, she usually needs money? Isn't that right? And we talked for a few minutes about two or three things. and She didn't ask for anything. It was weird. She didn't ask for anything. So finally, I said to her, well, baby, what do you need? And she got quiet for a moment. She said, oh, I didn't need anything. She said, I just called to tell you I love you. That was sweet. I told her I love you too, and I hung up. And suddenly it hit me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, when was the last time you talked to your father? Didn't ask him for anything. Just said, I love you. Maybe if it did me good, maybe it would please his heart to hear from me every now and then just the sacrifice of praise, giving thanks to his name. By the way, some of you say, well, I've never really sacrificed anything for God. Did it ever dawn on you this is the sacrifice all of us can make? All of us will not be called on to be martyrs, but every one of us can be praisers. Not everybody's going to be a missionary, but everybody can be a worshiper. Every day you live, you can offer the sacrifice of praise because this is one of the things God wants to bring out of your brokenness. Go back with me to Psalm 51, and I'll show you the last one. Number one, out of the brokenness, God brings a new message. Number two, out of the brokenness, God brings a new song. And number three, out of the brokenness, God brings a new prayer. Did you notice his prayer change? Oh, yes, it did. Look at verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. That's the city of the Lord. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Wait a minute. Up to this point, it's all been about David. Now, suddenly, it's like God turns him inside out. See, the way the Lord works, he always starts with you, and he deals with you thoroughly. But look, he may start there, but he doesn't stop there. No, what he wants, he not only wants you to be right with God, he wants to connect you to what he's doing with everybody else in the world. You know, sometimes church people can get selfish. Probably that doesn't happen down here in your part of the country, but even church people can get selfish. They can even start praying selfishly. Isn't it ironic that in the thing where we think we're most spiritual in our prayers, we actually reveal how truly selfish we are? Listen to yourself pray sometime. And how much of it is for me, me, Lord, me, me, Lord, me, Lord. And how much of it is for the people of God? And how much of it is for the lost who need Christ? And how much of it is for the broken world around us? Watch this, please. Out of the brokenness, God will give you a heart for broken people. Out of the brokenness, God will make you a blessing to many others. He changes your prayers. He makes you now not just a confessor. He makes you now an intercessor. I like that. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 18. He says, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. In ancient civilization, Eastern culture, the walls were, were protective. If your walls were gone, you were wide open to the enemy. Now, wait a minute. Was Jerusalem's walls actually down? Think about this. When David prayed this prayer, were the walls broken down? Yes or no? 
They were not. There was no captivity. There was no bondage. In fact, I would say Jerusalem was doing pretty good at this time. Financially, all was well. The economy was thriving. There was low unemployment. Everybody seemed really happy. But you know what David knew? He knew the spiritual walls had been broken down because of his own sin. Hear me, please. Sin makes not only you susceptible to the enemy, it makes everybody else around you susceptible to the enemy. No one sins alone. The walls of Jerusalem were not physical. They were spiritual. He was saying, oh, God, I know I'm right, but please don't let these people pay the price for my disobedience. You don't believe that's a real thing? Ask Achan. Ask Achan's wife and little children. Ask those who were connected to Achan's life. You know the one difference between Achan and David? When they confessed. Achan waited till it was too late. He looked to the left, to the right, in front of him, behind him. Nobody saw him. He forgot to look up, and God had to uncover his sin. But the moment God brought it to David's attention, at that moment, David said, Lord, I want to be right with you. Listen to me, please. You either wait till after or you confess in the middle. But if you confess in the middle of the brokenness, God will bring blessing out of that. And so the Lord begins here not only to restore David, I love this, he begins to restore those that David loves. Let's get personal for a second. What about the people you love? I'm thinking now about my own family. I love my wife. I thank God for Tammy. I could not do what I'm doing in my life without her. Next week, we'll go together to a certain place to help speak in a couple's retreat. And I love being with her, love getting home to her. I love her. But I'm going to tell you something that staggers me to think that my sin could destroy her. Could destroy her. That in one day I could make her ashamed to call me her husband. I think about Morgan and Lauren and Grant, and they don't have a perfect daddy, and they could tell you that. But to think that if I did something against the Lord, I'm also sinning against them. Listen to me, church. And what's true of family is also true of your church family. You want God's blessing on this church? Do you want God's blessing on this church? Then you stay thoroughly right with God. Do you know great churches? Great churches aren't great because they have great sermons or, or great leadership or great buildings or great money in the bank. They're great because the people stay right with the Lord. And I came tonight to say to you, if you want all God has for you, and keep yourself right with God and pray ahead your protection around those you love. And then look at verse 19. His prayer not only moves from himself to others, but I, this is fascinating to me. His prayer now moves from himself to God. This is the ultimate prayer. See, all true prayer begins with God and ends with God. It's of him, through him, and to him. So look at verse 19. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Psalm 51 opens with me, but it ends with thee. The prayer begins with, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm in trouble. But it doesn't end there. It ends with this, Lord, I want you to get glory and honor. Watch, please. The prayer that glorifies God is the prayer that God will answer. I wonder sometimes if we're not asking selfishly. Or what we want just to fix our brokenness. Even when we pray for revival, what we really want is we want America to be all right for the next generation. That's not the right motive. No, no. God never commands us to seek revival so that, so that we can have comfortable lives and prosperity. He commands us to seek revival so that everybody will know He is God and God will get the glory. And so God brings a new prayer out of this. Did you notice that in verse 18 and 19, David's concerned with God's pleasure. Look at verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure. Verse 19, then shalt thou be pleased. It's no longer about what makes David happy. It's about what makes God pleased. I'll tell you what this is. This is a revived heart. God has changed it. It's a new heart and a new hope for the future. We're going to come to more of that tomorrow night. But watch this, please. When God changes you, He doesn't change a little bit. He changes everything. So you say you want to be right with God? Well, I want you to know the Lord has come in and do a thorough house cleaning. He doesn't want to just tidy things up a little bit so it's better for public consumption. No, He wants to make you totally new. This is what God 
brings out of the brokenness. And we've walked through Psalm 51. And some of you are thinking, well, well we've covered all of Psalm, Psalm 51, so we got one more night. How many of you knew we had one more night? And you're right. And tomorrow night I'm not preaching from Psalm 51. And somebody's going to say, oh, no, well, we really have enjoyed this. Oh, look, look, tomorrow night I'm continuing the same theme and the same message, but did you know there's a psalm that chronologically comes right after Psalm 51? It is not Psalm 52. No, they're not in chronological order in our Bible. Do you know what psalm comes immediately after Psalm 51 from David's pen? What flows from heaven through David's heart? Do you know what psalm it is? Go back a few pages in your Bible and find Psalm 32. and Mark this psalm in your Bible. Psalm 32 is also a psalm of David. And Psalm 32 chronologically comes right after Psalm 51. This is wonderful. You ready for this? What is the first word of Psalm 32, church? Huh? What's the first word of verse 2? Mm. Watch, please. Can I tell you in a word what God brings out of the brokenness? He brings blessing. Out of my broken heart, God brings the blessing of fellowship with Him. Out of my broken circumstances, God brings the blessing of what only He can do. Out of broken families, God brings restoration. Out of brokenness in a church, God oftentimes brings revival. Out of broken societies, God sends great awakenings. Out of the brokenness, God brings the blessing. For the last couple of meetings, at the end of each meeting, I've been showing you a hymn, and I'm about to show you another one. But before I do, may I make just an observation to you? We hold these hymn books in our hands, and we sing these beautiful songs, and someone says, isn't that beautiful? That's really lovely. Yes, it is. Did you know that most of these songs, if you know the story behind them, most of them came out of brokenness? Did you know that the vast majority of great testimonies and miraculous things grew out of broken people and broken circumstances? And so with that in mind, I'd like for you to take your hymn book out again and find the third hymn in your hymn book. I think it'll be a familiar one to you. It's a, it's a famous hymn, and it's a powerful one. At the top left-hand corner, you'll see his name. It's Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was eight years old when his daddy died. He was eight. Little Robert's world fell apart. He lost his daddy. His mother tried. She really tried to raise him and his siblings right. But Robert got in with a group of rowdy boys early on as a teenager. He got with the wrong crowd. Despite her prayers, despite her pleadings, Robert started getting in trouble. One night, Robert Robinson and a group of his buddies decided they were going to go to a local evangelistic meeting like this one, and they were going to make fun of the preacher. They even took things to throw at him. They thought, we'll disrupt that meeting. The man that was preaching that night, perhaps you've heard of, his name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield stood at the pulpit that night, opened his Bible, and read the Scripture that said, Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They said, as Whitfield preached that night, it was like hell opened up before the people and the judgment and wrath of Almighty God became so real. Robert Robinson would later say, I sat on the back row of that building with all of my friends and I could not speak a word, he said, because I was so taken with the judgment of God. He didn't get saved that night. But he got under such conviction of sin, he lived under that conviction of sin for a number of years until finally Robert Robinson came to the end of himself and he said, I need Jesus. He fell on his knees and called on God and was wonderfully saved. Robert Robinson not only got saved, he became a preacher. He was gifted musically and one day Robert Robinson sat down and wrote these words. Look at them please. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. 
This little expression sounds weird, but it comes straight from the Bible. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. You should look that up in your Bible sometime. Ebenezer comes straight from Scripture. Hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. What most people do not know is that Robert Robinson, who got saved, who surrendered to preach, who wrote this hymn, got away from God. He let sin get in. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's not a person in this room that is above dishonoring God with our lives, not one of us. Robert got away from the Lord. He got into some things he shouldn't have gotten into and got out of the ministry, and soon he was out of church. Years went by. Years. Aren't you glad God knows right where you are? Yeah, he not only knows where you are, he's there. Robert Robinson got on a stagecoach one day go from the town he was in to the next town on business, and he got on the stagecoach, and he sat down in the stagecoach, and in the good providence of God, oh, I love the providence of God. There was a woman sitting across from him who was a Christian, and the stagecoach took off. They had quite a ride. They really didn't talk to one another. And in a little bit, Robert Robinson said, that woman started humming a tune. She hummed quietly to herself for a little bit, and then I guess she got up enough courage, she started singing softly under her breath. Guess what song she was singing? Robert Robinson's own song. Finally, by the time she got to the third verse, she was, she was just opening up and letting her fly. She was singing to the top of her lungs, just enjoying herself. And here's what she sang. Everybody look at the third verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And when she finished singing, she looked up. And the stranger across from her was weeping. And she said to him, Mr., do you like my song? <laughs> And through his sobs, he said, Madam, I'm the poor, wretched sinner that wrote those words many years ago. And he said, I would give a thousand lifetimes if I could feel this moment as I did when I first wrote them. And through the divine providence of God and his own song and God's good mercy, the Lord brought Robert Robinson back into fellowship with God. Don't we have a wonderful Savior? See, this is what God brings out of the brokenness. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes and sit quietly with me for a moment. Let's begin with the most obvious thing. How many of you know you've been born again and you're certain you're ready to meet God? Would you lift your hand toward heaven? You say, I know that. I know it. God bless you. You may lower your hand. May I ask, who among us tonight would say, Preacher, I could not raise my hand. I do not know for sure that I've ever really experienced the mercy of God like you're talking about, had my sins forgiven. I do not have 100% assurance that I'm ready to go to heaven, but I don't want to miss heaven and go to hell. Preacher, I need to be saved. Pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but in the stillness of this moment, you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. That's me. Would you slip your hand up in the air with mine? you say, I need to be saved. Pray for me. I need my sins forgiven. Pray for me. Anyone at all. I need the Lord. Let me, let me ask this question. Is there a Christian here tonight that would say, Preacher, I am saved, but I am personally not where I need to be with God. I, I'm like Robert Robinson. I, I've had my sins forgiven. But right now, there's something between me and the Lord. I'm not in fellowship with God like I used to be, and I want to be, and I need to be. Preacher, pray for me. Would you raise your hand toward heaven with mine right now? you say, that's me. God bless you, dear ones. God bless you. If you just raised your hand, would you look at me right now? Would you just look at me? I'm going to ask others to pray in a moment, but I wonder, without any music, 
would you be willing to just come find a place in this altar to talk to God and to tell the Lord what you just told me? Would you be willing now to just come and find a place to pray? God bless you, dear ones. God bless you. And the pastor and his wife and others, they're going to come and to find the ones who are coming here to pray. Have a prayer with them. Just encourage them. And that we want to know if there's something we can do to help you. The Lord is good to all of us. What a wonderful, what a wonderful God we have. Praise His holy name. Wonderful. And we want to be thoroughly right with the Lord, truly right with the Lord. Now may I ask this question, how many of God's children tonight would say, Preacher, I desire not just to get right this week, I want to stay that way. I want to stay in fellowship, I want to stay close, and I want to live in a spirit of revival consistently out of this meeting. Pray with me to that end. Would you raise your hand toward heaven right now? You say, that's me. Good, then I'm going to ask you right where you sit right now, without even moving, right where you sit, to tell God right now, without any hesitation, Lord, this is what I want. Make your prayer to God right now. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Father, may you seal the truth in our hearts and the decisions in our minds. May there be no turning back. Take us, all of us, Lord, to the next level in our walk with you. Take this church to the next level, Lord. Show us what that means. Our heads are bowed. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, I'm dealing with something right now. I'm dealing with some brokenness. There's some struggle and stress and strain. There's some real thing I'm dealing with. I need God's help. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Yes. Lord, help these dear ones. Holy Spirit, you're the comforter. Come to them now. Put fresh courage in them. May they leave this meeting different than they came. And now here's the message. And here's the invitation. How many believers in this room would say, Preacher, out of what I'm learning this week and out of what God's doing in my life right now, I'd like to help others. I'd like to be used to bring somebody to faith in Christ. I'd like to be used to help some backslider come back to the Lord. I'd like to be used to encourage some broken person. I want my new message and new song and new prayer to affect others. I truly desire to be used of God. Preacher, that's me. Would you raise your hand toward heaven? That's a beautiful sight. Ask the Lord to use you right now. Just ask him right now. He's going to answer that prayer. God sent Nathan to David right on time. It was a divine appointment. Ask God to give you a divine appointment this week. Lord, set some things in motion tonight that we will hear about over the next few weeks. But Lord, that we will meet and see face to face when we gather around the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. Lord, grant that it may be so. you lift your head and look at me please I didn't say amen we're not finished I said I was going to give an unusual invitation so here we go in a moment I'm going to ask her to play come thou fount of every blessing here's what I'm going to ask it's a little unusual I don't know if you're in the habit of doing this kind of thing here or not but we're going to do it and I'm going to ask you to participate it'll be good for you and good for someone else in a moment I'm going to ask every man in the room to leave your seat and find another man. I'm going to ask every lady to leave your seat and find another lady. And I'm going to ask that it not be your family and that it not be your best friend or the person you're sitting with now. I'm going to ask you to find someone. And I'm going to ask the two of you to find some place in this room. Some of you may want to come and kneel in the altar together. Some of you may want to sit together. You may want to stand around the perimeter. But I want you to stay in the room, find you a partner, and here's what we're going to do. You ready? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the two of you to take just a couple minutes and talk to each other first. Say, what are we going to talk about, preacher? Well, let me tell you what you're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about the ball game. Here's what we're going to talk about. 
we're going to talk about the goodness of God. How many of you know you're saved? How many of you know the Lord's been good and merciful to you? That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to ask you to share with that person how you came to the Lord and what Jesus means to you. Some good thing about the Lord. Now listen to me. I know we got some people in this room because I'm one of them who like to talk. You can't start at your birth and come forward and give your life story, all right? We have just a short time to do this, so let's give the short version tonight. But speak a good word about the Lord, and both of you do it. Then once we've talked to one another, I'm going to ask you both to talk to the Lord. I'm going to ask the two of you to pray together. And here's what I'm going to ask us to pray about tonight. One of you can begin the prayer. The other one can end the prayer. But I'm going to ask you to pray together that God would use both of you to minister to others. You might even want to share with each other somebody you're praying for. How many of you have got somebody on your mind that's lost and needs Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. How many of you know a backslider? Somebody used to be right with the Lord in church and they're away from God now. You know somebody like that. All right. Well, you may want to say to this person, hey, help me pray for this person. And let's agree together in prayer. But we're going to spend a few moments just talking about the goodness of God and then talking to God, asking the Lord to use us to make a difference in this world. I want you to stand with me all around. And right now she begins to play, quickly and quietly, I want you to find someone. And don't be bashful about it. Don't be timid and shy. They won't bite and they won't hurt you. It'd be good for all of us. 